I'd like to give the elders the shortest passages. If you will, join me in the pastoral prayer. Oh, sovereign Lord, we praise you. You are good and merciful. You delight in giving good gifts to your children. You, Lord, are the reason we live and we move and breathe, and and you deserve praise with every step and every breath. We know you say in your word, if we say we do not sin, we lie, and the truth is not in us. So we acknowledge this morning to you that we do have sin in our lives, and we confess that sin before you this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We believe that in you alone we receive forgiveness from our sin. We ask not only for forgiveness, O Lord, we ask for freedom from sin, for deliverance from sin, for sin that clings so closely. We ask that you would deliver each one of us. Lord, free us from hate and lust and pride anger, addiction, envy, greed, idolatry, and whatever else comes to our minds as we we think this morning and confess our sin. We ask also for not only spiritual healing, but physical and mental healing this morning. We pray for Tom Elan as he recovers from a major surgery, Lord, that you would you would bring him complete healing, that he would be back to normal. We ask for those who are sick with COVID and, and other sicknesses, Lord, that you would bring healing. Lord, some of us are, are tired. We ask that you would revive us. Some of us are anxious. We ask that you would bring us peace. Some are depressed. We ask that you would bring us the joy that only you could bring. And the times that you choose to say no, we ask that you would increase our faith more and more so that we know that every trial, every temptation, everything that comes our way is building within us our character that looks like Jesus. I just pray that we count it all joy because we know that you are, you are creating in us uh, a Christ-like character. Lord, we lift before you also this morning our missionaries, uh, Matt and Tamara Smith and their son, Stuart. We ask that you would be with them as they minister to uh, missionaries that come in, uh, that need rest, that are exhausted, that are burnt out, Lord, that you would, you would give them the wisdom to speak your truth into them. And we ask that you would give them rest so that they could go back into the field and, and not burn out and have to come home. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, bring refreshment and, and grant them success as they minister and share the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around them. Lord, we pray this morning for Connections Community Church and Pastor Todd that your word would go forth boldly and strengthen uh, the believers and convict the sinners and show Jesus Christ to the lost. Lord, we thank you for 
many churches proclaiming your word and proclaiming that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We ask the same for our church this morning. We ask, Lord, will you speak to the children and children's church that you would save the lost and that you would develop disciples? Lord, speak to us in here this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask, change us. You tell us that your word does not return void. So it will either harden or soften the heart. And we ask that it softens the heart. We ask that it puts us on a, a, a path of following you, and a path of repentance and leaving sin and, and the things that bring only death and, and that we live and choose life. Holy Spirit, change us to look like Jesus. Help us to glorify you with every word and deed and love our neighbors as ourselves. I ask you that you will help me to faithfully proclaim your word with complete dependence on you, Holy Spirit. Jesus, may you be magnified this morning and save your people. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, kiddos, you are released. And while they're going, if you will turn to Acts, Acts chapter 10, if you're not already there. I didn't tell Tim, but I'm not going to preach all those verses, but I didn't want to stop him. He was doing such a good job. I started writing my sermon. I realized if I preach on 48 verses this morning, these 48 verses, we will be in here until next Sunday. So um, there's just so much. We'll cover it next week. Well, good morning, church. Story of how my wife, Nikki, and I met. It's nothing fantastic. It's nothing out of this world. Um, but when, we, when you start to think about the details, and we've talked about this a lot, there's so many things that needed to align for us to meet each other for us to, to get married. We were raised states apart. I was raised in Texas my whole life, lived in Texas until I joined the Air Force. Uh, Nikki uh, was born in Oregon, lived in Missouri, then in um, California. So we were far apart. We both joined the Air Force, uh, but she joined a couple of years after she graduated high school. I joined almost immediately when I graduated high school. She was leaving for basic training as I was entering. So she was leaving San Antonio as I was coming in to San Antonio. She went to Florida when she graduated basic training. I went to California. So we, were, we hardly could be further apart on this continent. But then the Lord start, started to move us together. She had to leave the school that she was in and, and the Lord moved her to California to be in diesel maintenance school, if you can imagine that. It makes me smile every time I think of Nikki rebuilding an engine. Um, but she did. I, I've, I'm a witness. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about alternators. Those were really good dates. Man, if you really want to woo your women, take them to Denny's and talk about this, the parts of an alternator. And Yes. But when, when we were there, we were, we were both dating someone. 
So we didn't, we didn't connect right away. We went home, both of us. Uh, I went to Texas, and she went to California for um, Christmas break, and then we were both dumped on Christmas break. Not the greatest Christmas break. It actually turned out really good for me, and uh, I hope, hopefully for her. Uh, as she returned to California, I, Nikki was at the base exchange and she bought an ironing board and she was carrying that heavy thing all the way back to the dorm room and I swooped in like a knight and said, you want me to carry that for you? And we've been married ever since. Uh, see, these are all wonderful tips for you guys. Uh, that was 19 years ago and I've... In, more in love with her today than I ever have been, but um, thank you, almost 19 years ago. But the way that we come to salvation is not that different. I mean, the Lord doesn't carry our ironing board, uh, but he is working many angles to woo us to himself. He, he gives us the Holy Spirit to, to work in our hearts Life's events are creating these desires in us that the world, we just see over and over and over, the world cannot fulfill those desires. And he's, he's showing us, I'll give you all of these empty things if you want, but I'm the one that you need. And on the other side, he's working in the hearts of those who will present the gospel to us. So not only is he working in our hearts to bring us to himself, but he's working on the other side, those who are going to tell us that Jesus is the answer. He's working in the hearts of the church that are going to accept us into their fellowship and to the heart of the pastor as he proclaims the message from the pulpit. All of these parts are working together to play this, this symphony of salvation. The Lord is intimately involved in taking salvation to the ends of the earth. Darren, I'm just going to have you just read my, you'll see, you see where I'm going. Uh, but this is great news. The Lord is intimately involved in bringing people to salvation. So we need to start first by looking at how the Lord prepares the heart of the lost. So look at the text with me. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known of the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. We see Cornelius is a man of religion. Many today would say he was very spiritual. He um, was called what they called at this time a God-fearer. So he was a, a Gentile who feared God, but he wasn't totally converted to Judaism. So he, he saw the God of Judaism, he liked that, he, he liked the, the, the law, and he, he, he saw that this was the God um, of the universe, but he didn't go as far into conversion as being circumcised. So he wasn't completely uh, a Jewish convert, but he was a God-fearer. He respected Yahweh. And he reflected those who followed uh, the Jewish law and Jewish practices. We see that he gave generously. He probably gave to the synagogues and was well loved by the Jewish people. 
He prayed continuously. He taught his household. We see that he was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. So he taught the things of God as we see in Deuteronomy 6 uh, verses 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And that shows that he's a God-fearer. He believed that. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And this is what Cornelius did. He taught his children the word of God. But covenantly, he wasn't completely a Jewish convert. And we see in Exodus, those who are not completely uh, Jewish converts, if a stranger sojourns with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. So even though he and his house had not been fully converted, the Lord was already starting to work in Cornelius' heart and in the heart of those in his household. He would have heard the teachings of the Messiah that is coming. He would have heard the book of Daniel where it says that these, these nations are going to fall. And he would have known more than likely that Rome was the last nation that would be replaced by the kingdom of God. He would have known these things. His heart was being prepared to receive the Messiah, to receive the gospel. But he would have also known that since he couldn't, since he wasn't circumcised, since he wasn't fully Jewish, he was known as unclean. That he would have uh, been able to make no sacrifice for sin. Look at verse 28. Peter even reiterates this when he gets to his house. And he says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. So he says, you know this. You know that you're unclean. You know that we should not be with you. He would have been able to go to uh, the temple courts, but he could have only gone as far as the court of the Gentiles. And there was a warning in between the court of the Gentiles and the temple that said, no alien, so no one outside the Jewish people may enter within the balustrade around the sanctuary. And the enclosure, whoever is cause on himself shall be put to blame for the death which will ensue. You can't enter, you're unclean. If you die, it's your fault. You've heard the warning. So even though he upheld the law, even though he was devout, even though he prayed three times a day, even though all of this was true of him, his only hope was that God would show mercy. Paul later in Galatians tells us that the law to Israel, the law that Cornelius would have read and would have known, served as a tutor. It served as a guide to Jesus Christ. We see in Galatians uh, 3.24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ 
that we might be justified by faith. The reason he would have been prepared, God was preparing him to receive the Messiah. Many today seek to please God or a God through pious or religious activities, hoping they can be good enough in this life to receive mercy or receive favor in the next life. Whatever that looks like, praying or being generous or or fearing God or giving to the poor, just hoping that we can mount up enough so that God is pleased with us. But all of those fall short. They are only shadows of who we are supposed to be and they're insufficient for getting anyone into the kingdom of God. We saw that in Cornelius. We see Cornelius was also prepared by a divine messenger. Verse three, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision In a vision, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius! And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Never do you see angels show up and everybody's like, oh, yay, angels. (laughs) Everybody's like, ah. Um, Angels are not, I just think it's so funny. Every time we're like, oh, I wish I could see an angel. I don't think we want to. Um, Anyways, that's over here. Angels, they're not a stranger in Luke's uh, account. He, he, he shows them over and over. They, they show up to the shepherds. They show up to Mary. They show up to Zechariah. They show up over and over and over. They're, they're bringing in this new message. And they're bringing the Gentiles and the Jews together in the book of Acts. We see that Philip just recently, if you just flip back a page in Acts 8, verse 26, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go to the to, Toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he he is bringing um, Philip into the path of an Ethiopian. So that he can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So that Gentiles and Jews are being brought together. That God would send angels to spur on uh, the spreading of the kingdom. Reveals that God is intimately involved in converting his people and bringing them to himself. That he is intimately involved in expanding his mission to the ends of the earth. Now, while angelic messengers are not uh, very normal, uh, we do have the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, drawing us to the Lord. So we see in John 16, verse 8, uh, Jesus says, and when he comes, the helper that he is proclaiming, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, church, the, the Lord is preparing long before we get in a relationship with somebody, long before we present the gospel, he's preparing their heart to hear the gospel. 
And maybe you're here today and the Lord has been preparing your heart to seek after him and you are presently hearing right now the love of God towards you in Jesus Christ, that he would call you to himself, that he would call you to come, that he would call you to believe in his son and receive eternal life in Christ alone. The Lord has always been intimately involved in calling his people. We see in Ephesians verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. His, his plan has always been to call his people. In Isaiah 43, verse 1, he says, But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. This is powerful that the Lord would call you. And if you're a believer this morning, it is only because of the Lord's grace towards you in Jesus Christ that he would call you to himself. The Lord also prepares us by issuing faith. Look at Cornelius again. Acts 10 verses 7 and 8. The angel who spoke to him had departed. He called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him and having relayed everything, related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And then look at verse 30 through 33. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, he's speaking to Peter, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging at the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius' faith is displayed in his life. As we saw, he, it was displayed in his uh, pious activity that he would give generously, his religious activity, he would give generously, he would pray continuously. But also we see his faith is displayed in his obedience to the Lord. He, obedience that this angel would tell him to do something and send for some dude he doesn't even know and he would say, okay. Habakkuk writes, the righteous shall live by faith. Live being an active word, we actually do something. Faith being the foundation that we are living from. By faith, Cornelius was sent. He sins for Peter. By faith, Cornelius knew Peter had held this message from the Lord for him and for his family. By faith, he was ready to receive the message. He was ready for his orders from the Lord, verse 33. And we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. As a centurion, he knew 
that he was over a hundred men. He knew what it was to give a command. He knew what it was to be obedient. And he's saying, God, you tell us what to do through your servant. The preparation then leads this God-fearer and his family to the gospel. You see, the Lord brought Cornelius and his family to this point in his life where he understood, I'm unclean. I couldn't atone for my sin. It brought him to understand that he was poor in spirit. I need God. I'm here in his presence to hear this message that you have for me. It brought him to hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is a heart prepared to hear the message of salvation. Look at Acts 11, verse 13 and 14. Peter, this is such an important thing for Peter that he retells this story several times. And he's retelling it in, in Acts 11. And he says, and he told us how, and Peter's recounting what Cornelius said, how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon who, was a, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved you and all your household. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. He, at that, up to that moment, had no hope for salvation. But he says that you need to hear this message, and through this message that Peter is going to bring to you, you will be saved. You will be clean. You will be a child of God. And you are here, are you here this morning uh, longing to hear the message of salvation? Maybe you don't know you're looking for the message of salvation, but you've tried to find it in drugs and alcohol and sex and relationships and people and acceptance and jobs and money, and you're looking for something. I'm here to tell you that those are all empty, dry wells, and they will never quench your thirst. But Jesus Christ is the river of life. And those who believe in him will never thirst again. He is satisfying you. He's the only answer. He's the only way we can be saved. But now on the other side, the Lord. So we have Cornelius and his family waiting to hear this message. And now we're going to flash back and see Peter, and the Lord is going to prepare the heart of the messenger. The way we begin to see that we prepare is we become a people of prayer. Look at verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. You think, well, there's nothing special going on here. Peter, his act of prayer as a, as a Jewish person would have, it just reflected his Jewish background. So three times a day they would pray. A devout Jews would do that every day. We see that in Cornelius. He was praying at the, at the sixth hour, I think it said. Um, I'm not even gonna look for it. We see that reflected in Daniel, that he is praying three times a day, even at the threat of, of uh, death. 
by Nebuchadnezzar. That's just part of who um, and what they were called to do as Jewish believers. But this is beyond that. You, you don't pray. One of those hours was not the sixth hour. The sixth hour was lunchtime. Like, him going up and praying was showing that Peter was a person of prayer, that he was a man following after what Jesus told him to do, to pray privately, to go and shut the door and pray to God, to cry out, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. And what better way for the Lord to answer that prayer than to bring the nations to Peter so that he could go with them and proclaim the gospel to fulfill the commission that we see in Acts 1.8. That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And we think, yes, we'll receive power to go, but God is participating in drawing us out to the nations. Prayer is not only us talking to God in this one-way conversation. Prayer is God aligning our hearts with his will. It's him preparing us to represent and spread the good news of the kingdom. So the question is, believer, are your prayers preparing you to proclaim the kingdom of God? A lot of times we fall into the trap of praying our wants our desires. We ask for health for others. We ask for safety for our family. We ask for wisdom. These are all really good things. But are we also praying that the kingdom of God will come? And not only, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, but prepare me to be part of that. How can I be part of that process, Lord? Our prayers don't only need to be a request for the Lord to do something in us, but for the Lord to do something through us to further his kingdom. So here's what I want you to do. Add into your prayer life a request. Lord, prepare me to share the gospel. Prepare my heart for what you're gonna put before me today. Pray that you will have faith to follow through with what he gives you. As you read the Bible, pray, Lord, prepare my heart. I I need to understand what you are doing, and I want to share that with other people. As you listen to a sermon, pray, Lord, speak to me so that I can put that to action. As you head to coffee, as you have a meal with someone, pray, Lord, prepare me so that I can encourage with the gospel. I can speak the gospel. I can show the gospel. I can share the gospel. We're also prepared through the Lord correcting our view of his limits of grace. Look at verse 10 through 16. And Peter became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open up and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. 
Peter said, by no means, Lord. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Many look at these verses and they use them to defend their right to eat bacon. (laughs) That's not what's happening here. (laughs) What's going on here is the Lord is changing Peter's perspective. He's, He's saying, we know later on in Galatians 2 that Peter is struggling with this line between uh, the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul says, I, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before a certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. You know, Peter was struggling with that line. Like his whole life, he's been told the Gentiles are not clean. You don't eat with the Gentiles, You you don't go to their houses, they are not clean. But the Lord is teaching Peter in his grace and his mercy, he's showing that people are valuable to me. Everyone is created in my image. Look at verse 15. The voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And it's happened three times. It's amplifying what is going on. Verse 28. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Acts eleven twelve. The Spirit told me to go to them making no distinction. This passage is not about food. We see in Romans uh, 14, 17 that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This passage is about people. He's saying people are important and Peter needed to understand and he needed to believe that the gospel Jesus taught was not only for the Jew it was for the Gentile for the nations to come in we see again in Acts 1 8 you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria it doesn't stop there and to the ends of the earth this is the promise from Genesis he's I'm bringing the nations in. I'm saving my people. And Peter, if he needed to hear this, who walked with Jesus, who heard the heart of Jesus, if he needed to hear that the gospel was for the Gentiles, it was for everyone, how much more do we need to hear that? Who are the groups of people that you can't see the gospel going to? How have you limited God's grace in your mind to reach certain people. We need to know and we need to hear continuously that the Lord desires none to perish 
and sin. He desires all to be saved. And we see in chapter 10, verse 43, that we'll get to next week, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, let me slow down, I almost blew past it. To him, all, that's Jesus, all the prophets bear witness, so this is, the whole Old Testament's telling you this, that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. What boundary have you set up in your heart that God can't save this person? Is it the other political party? They can't come to Jesus. Is it the gender confused? They are out. Is it, is it the, the sexually deviant, the deviant? They're just too far gone. Is it the abuser? They deserve only hell. Is it the communist? They're cut off. Is it the socialist? They're unsavable. Is, what, what have you put in between? The, what limit have you put on God's grace? Because at any point that we place a boundary on God's grace, we've departed the gospel. We've left and we've become like the nations instead of desiring the nations to come to Jesus. At any point that we place a boundary on Jesus' atoning blood, we've missed that all are created in the image of God and can come to the cross and receive forgiveness and be made new. Church, may our love never grow cold, but be warmed by the grace of God. That we would just look at ourselves and say, he saved even me. Even me. Prepare your heart by looking at your own heart and realizing if he could save you when you were a God-hater, deserving nothing but hell, you received grace. Prepare your heart by crying out, Lord, change my heart to look like yours. Change my heart that would look like you when you're dying on the cross and and the very people that hated you, you cry out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We're also prepared by divine message. Look at verse 13. A voice came to Peter and said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that's uncommon or uh, common or unclean. The voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing that was taken up at once, uh, and that thing was taken up into heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate, and they called to him and asked whether Simon, uh, who was the, who's called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They said, Cornelius, the centurion, 
an upright and God-fearing man who is spoken well of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Peter was prepared for this task through the vision that he was given. And you probably won't be given a vision. Maybe you will, but more than likely you won't. But you have a long record of many who have had visions, who have a message for you. You're given in your hands what Peter never had. He did not have uh, the ESV app on his iPhone. He did not have faith comes by hearing to listen to as often as he wanted to. He did not even have the whole book like this, the whole Bible like this. You do. You have generations of faithful people who are proclaiming to you the excellencies of God that are, are telling you the, the, the divine message of God's redemption. You can read or listen to the word whenever and wherever you want. And as you read the word, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you every time he's telling you As you sit here and listen, he's speaking to you. He's preparing your heart. As you attend Bible studies in small groups, he's speaking to you. He's preparing your heart. That is a divine message. The message that says God has been working to save his people from the very beginning. The message that says Jesus died for the nations. The message that says he is uniting Jew and Gentile, that he's bringing many sons and daughters to glory, to right what we wronged. As you read the word, your heart should be rejoicing in the story of redemption, that he's been working for generations to bring you and those whom you share the gospel with into the family of God. We also see that we're prepared by hospitality. Verse 23, so he invited them to be his guests. Peter invites these men in. He doesn't know them, and he definitely um, knew that they were Gentile, but he's extending this fellowship to them outside of his common circle, his normal circle. He's saying, yes, come in. Uh, I know you're a Gentile. I know you're an outcast. I know you're unclean, but come in and let's talk. Be my guests. How many people started singing that song in their head? I did. A couple weeks ago, Zach Brown called us to rethink our homes to rethink hospitality, to to think about how that, even hospitality, is a mission field for every single one of us. Are you willing to have people in your home or out for dinner or to coffee? Are you willing to show hospitality, to, to extend fellowship that you normally would not extend fellowship to? Are you willing to share a meal with someone or have coffee and just simply say, share your story with me? The more we pray for hearts of hospitality, the more hospitable we become. The more hospitable we become, the more we know people. The more we know people, the easier we can connect the gospel to their story. Our hearts are also prepared by the correct view of self. Look at verse 24. 
The following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter lifted him up and said, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered and he said to them, you yourselves know it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why do you send for me? Peter, when he got there, could have, could have accepted this worship from this man. He could have allowed him to make much of him. I mean, he was one of the 12 apostles, right? He, and he was like one of the top three. He was a big deal. He could have said, yes, <laughs> thank you. I'll have whatever you want to give me. And, uh, but his heart was prepared by seeing who he truly was, a servant of Jesus Christ and no more. He was saved by grace, chosen, not because of his resume, not because of his pedigree, but because Jesus came and called him. Peter understood that Jesus alone deserved worship. He didn't deserve any worship, and he wanted to be the first to show that Jesus deserved all worship and that we are called to be a servant of all even the Gentiles. And we need that mindset, church. You're a Christian today because you're chosen, called, delivered by the immeasurable grace of Jesus Christ. You were poor in spirit. You were dead in sin. You were not a people. But God saved you and made you a kingdom of priests. You must also understand that you were created in God's image just like everyone else around you. You're not better than the lost. You're just awake. Too often we see ourselves as higher than someone else. We exalt ourselves because we have this knowledge of salvation. We're still very sinful people. When we have that mindset that we are sinners saved by grace, our hearts are prepared to share the gospel. Because we're not looking down at other people, we're desiring to lift them up. We're not exalting ourselves, but we understand that evangelism, like Charles Spurgeon said, is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. So there's either one thing or another going on in your heart. Either your heart is being prepared to share the gospel, or your heart is being prepared to hear the gospel. There's no in between. There's no third option. If you're here this morning, you believe the Lord is calling you to salvation. He's, he's calling you to ask about Jesus Christ. He's, all, he's calling you to follow him. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the elders. We have the greatest news to share with you. If you're a believer in here, your heart is being prepared to share the gospel through prayer, through an increasing view of God's grace, through the divine word of God to show you that he is calling you, that, um, that you are reading and delighting in daily, that he is speaking to you through hospitality, through the understanding that you are to die to self and live as a servant to all. I pray our hearts are changed this morning 
And every day moving forward as we draw near to Jesus, our Savior and our King. Let's pray. Father, your mercy is more. There's so much that we need to hear. But we thank you and we praise you, Lord. We thank you that you are preparing the hearts of the lost around us. We thank you that you're preparing the hearts of those who are straying. Lord, that, that they need to return. I thank you that you're preparing our hearts as your church to reflect you, Jesus, to show your mercy, to live the gospel, to speak the gospel, so that people see that we are not just a part of the problem, but we are lights shining in the darkness. God, I pray that you would prepare my brothers and sisters in here to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That we feel it so deeply that like Jeremiah, it's like a fire in our bones and we just have to tell people. So often we get so caught up in the world and we get so distracted that we aren't being prepared. We're kind of stagnating. So Lord, deliver us from that. We wanna honor you with every breath, with every step, every word. We need you, Holy Spirit, to do this. We can't do it, nor do we want to do it without you. In Jesus' name, amen.